Hello, and welcome to the Becoming Lit podcast. I'm your host, Anne Fancy, and I am truly grateful you are here with me today. This podcast is dedicated to having deep and honest, raw and soulful conversations around what it means to be an embodied soul living this messy human existence. We'll dive into storytelling, into asking hard questions, exploring wonders of the universe and digging into some weird stuff. But the whole point here together is that we look deeply into our own life, into our own truth, into our own soulful alignment, and that we peel away everything that doesn't serve. And we step into exactly who we intend to be, to embody as much light as possible, and to shift and change this world for the better. I'm grateful for your presence here, for all the ways you show up in your life, and of course, for lighting up your own corner of the world. Hey everyone, we will get going pretty soon with the lovely Teresa Zambo, who joined us from uh, Germany, Heidelberg area, if I remember correctly. Um, And we'll be talking about what it means to be an HSP or a highly sensitive person and her work coaching people who identify as such. Um, But before we do that, I wanted to tell you briefly about an immersion experience I'm offering Uh, both locally and online too. It'll be a hybrid version. Um, And the immersion experience is called Cultivating Your Voice and Creating Impact. Um, Originally, the idea was for yoga teachers, but in unpacking it a little by little, I realized this is just a conversation for everyone. And it's a conversation that you would be having largely with yourself and in a group of people doing the same kind of deep dive. So For me, this is a constant question that I face in cycles, right? What am I here for? What is calling at me? What's nudging at my soul to change? And sometimes I don't know the answer necessarily. I just know something's got to give. Something feels out of alignment. Something's asking to be born through me or being asked to be seen within me. And these are the kinds of questions we're going to spend time looking at within ourselves. And then, of course, on the other side of that is who am I? What do I care about? And how do I want to show up in whatever sphere I'm in so that I can feel as if I'm in alignment with who I am? It feels like clear in my soul. I don't feel out of integrity. And I I believe in my whole heart when we all learn to live like that, no matter what you feel like your mission is here on planet Earth, but when we all learn to live like that, it creates a more harmonious environment. We ourselves are happier um, and it contributes to the highest good for all. So it's part of my soul mission to help other people find their soul mission and I just want to also clarify that sometimes this mission and this purpose is not capital M or capital P, but just making sure that where you are feels true to you and that you are in spaces that you feel you're able to be fully seen, fully loved, fully validated as you are, just right as you are, the wholeness of you, not just the light, pretty, socially acceptable sides, but all of it. So this class will be um, offered this weekend, like I said, so it's coming up quickly if you're hearing this after the class is already ran. I am working to create this in a 
an online format and perhaps to unpack it in other ways as well. So do join my mailing list and um, you can sign up at anfancy.com and just join the mailing list so that when I have offerings similar to this one, you can jump on board from wherever you are. Um, this is part of my 2022 mission to get my shit together and start doing things that I really, really love and offering them beyond the local spaces I live and inhabit. So all that is to say, if you want to find out more, you can go to my website. I'm offering this one through Citizen Yoga Royal Oak. Um, so you could go to their website, which is citizenyogastudio.com. You can also sign up to take online classes with me, either live or on demand through that platform. Okay, that's enough. Sorry to just bleh at you all that. Here we go. Teresa Zambo, the lovely Teresa Zambo, a coach, um, a young entrepreneur out of Germany, telling us about what it's like been for her to be an HSP, but but even one that doesn't quite fit the, the mold of what we think a highly sensitive person is. Whoops, there goes my phone. Okay, I look forward to chatting with you and let me know if you have any questions. You can follow me on all the normal places and reach out if there's anything I can answer for you. I hope you're having a great day and thank you as always for listening, subscribing, liking, and sharing. All right. Hello, everyone. I'm really excited. This was uh, a divine intervention. My sister uh, lives in Germany, and in her building, she met a lovely woman that we'll be talking to today named Teresa Zambo. And is that how you say it in German? How do you... Zambo? In in German, you you say it a little more harsh, just like everything <laughs> in German, but it's totally fine. That's the correct English pronunciation. Well, how do you say it in German? Zambo. Okay. But it's a Hungarian name. So I think in Hungarian it's uh, pronounced Zambu. So either way, <laughs> it's totally fine. Fair enough. Both split hairs. Um, we've had a lot of requests for unpacking what we call here in the States HSP or highly sensitive person. Um, and my sister met you. And I was like so thrilled to hear that she knew someone that really specializes and what it means to be sensitive and how to um, use those gifts as gifts instead of how many of us are taught to squash or try to smash them down or whatever the techniques our parents and caregivers gave us. So um, welcome, number one. Hello. Welcome. Thank you for having sure. me. <laughs> sure. And um, you call yourself, your, your title is a confidence coach for sensitive people. I love that. So what was, um, I don't know what the German, I mean, I know enough about Germany as my sisters lived there for seemingly forever, but as a child, um, how were your parents with you? What did sensitivity look like for you as a kid? So I always, so, so the, the funny thing is that I'm an extrovert and I feel like some people or many people tend to think that sensitivity and being an extrovert does not go together. So when you say highly sensitive, many people think of introverts. So I think this is also why no one ever really, I don't even know if my mom or anyone else um, knew that there was something called highly hypersensitivity, something mm -hmm. like that. But my mom is also very sensitive, but she... She doesn't really use it, and I think she sees that as a weakness. Mm -hmm. So, um, and also, my dad actually, um, my dad actually committed suicide when I was mm -hmm. six. So, I guess 
that there was also some kind of high high mm-hmm. sensitivity. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, as a kid, was very loud, very present. Um, <laughs> I was singing and dancing all the time and, you know, doing shenanigans and being like, you know, not really a, a girl that teachers really tended to like. Some did. But most of the time I was disturbing the class. So you know how teachers are. They're just taking it personally. Mm -hmm. And if you don't fit into some kind of system, you just tend to get the feeling to be false or bad. Mm -hmm. So my my childhood, childhood, um, when it comes to my family, was great. Um, And my family always saw a big potential in me. But um, my childhood concerning school was pretty traumatizing for me, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I hear it secondhand through my sister, but my understanding of uh, German schools is um, at least watching my nieces go through it and maybe not fitting what the uh, standard is for, you know, German expectation for behavior and boundary, which is you know, pretty stiff boundaries, right? And and for me, what I've heard is that the system seems relatively oppressive. Like the assumption that you are inherently bad and not good enough is really the what I've heard a lot put on my, you know, nieces um, and a nephew. And that not that American schools are, are, are lifting you up and they are certainly not better in many ways um, than, I mean, we won't go down the rabbit hole of all um, institutionalized education anyway, but I can imagine because what you sound like to me is, is, is very much like some of my nieces and, um, and nephew going through the system, which is just not complying, right? Like you're, you were, you were too big. Yeah. Yeah. yeah for the space too energetically big. Yes. Yeah. So that is really interesting. I literally was just talking to one of my dear friends before we, before I got on here about what it is to be HSP. And because we always have a conversation because she tends to be one that lets like things roll off, you know, so things don't affect her. They just bounce off. And for so long, she would say, I'm not an empath. I'm not sensitive. I'm not these things. And while I don't think she's a highly sensitive person necessarily, she is empathic. And so I think there's a really interesting, just as you were discussing extroversion and sensitivity or can go together, right? Yeah. What what my friend Lori has always said is that you can be an empath, but not an HSP, but you can't, or highly sensitive, but you cannot be highly sensitive without being an empath, right? Yes, yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, and we were just literally talking about extroversion versus introversion. And our, my, our, I have a daughter and, um, and my wife, we're all HSP around here, but all presenting differently. But for so long, my daughter presented as introverted because she was so painfully shy, as was I as a kid. But to me, that was just the sensitivity. The world felt overwhelming, the energy of the world. You could feel everything. So did you have that experience as a kid that you felt like you could feel everything? Or were you just really in your own feelings were big? I actually, the only thing I can remember from my childhood Regarding that kind of um, or feelings mm-hmm. is that I always felt misunderstood. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really have any 
um, memories regarding feelings, especially mm -hmm. like when it comes to to how how I felt um, or if I felt the the emotions of other people or stuff like that. I remember that I understood a lot, mm -hmm. and I under I, I was always very very uh, mature for mm -hmm. my age, and I. Um, Yeah. And I was always spending a lot of time also by myself. And I was already as a kid collecting um, crystals and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And I um, was always spiritual in a way. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't really know if I, um, I think it was more the, the feeling of I, I get situations. Mm -hmm. I know what's happening right mm -hmm. now and stuff like that. So I guess there was some kind of understanding for vibes, mm -hmm. you know, and like energies. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And I always was very, very, um, how do you say that? Attentive. Mm -hmm. I always noticed a lot of like small details. Uh, my grandma always used to, to um, be very excited about that. When I noticed when she changed a little thing in her house and I, I was like, you changed that. And yeah. So This is what I remember. Yeah. yeah. So that's really interesting because one of the conversations I've had in my own unraveling of my intuitive process is not being cognizant that it was intuition or sensitivity informing me, that it was just always who I was. And that's what I'm hearing for you. Like it didn't pass through thought in a way, but it also got cataloged. I always think of it as cataloged in my mind that I would notice things about people, not not consciously, and then someone would bring something up and I'd be like, oh yeah, blah, 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 blah. And I, I yeah. still do that to this day. So I think this is, you know, this goes along with, to me, so often how women, young girls get missed for things like ADHD or sensitivity or all of these things because for you is because you seemed more extroverted or, um, and you were just, you know, a troublemaker. You got this one label yeah. instead of anybody looking a second underneath that. Right. And, and I would yeah. even venture to guess that people made assumptions. You lost your dad to suicide, which I'm very sorry, by the way. Um, so that they, that was another easy way to go. Oh, well, this is just her acting out. Right. Right. Yeah. And nobody yeah, totally. sought to look any deeper. So yes. can we unpack that a little bit? I mean, you sound so like grounded and easygoing about losing your dad, but like what is, what was the, and you even said how great your family was, which is, is really lovely that you felt that much support after having something like that happen at a, such a formative time. I mean, it's never a convenient time to lose a parent, but will you unpack that a little for us? Nothing like uh, interrupting my own podcast with a little plug for my fall retreat. It is coming up quickly here, November 2nd through the 5th. There was a little date change due to some logistics and making it more accessible for everyone. Uh, go check out more info on my website at ianfancy.com backslash retreat, or feel free to reach out with any questions you might have. Um, they do fill up, and I would love to have you there this fall or sometime in the future. Okay, back to the recording. Thanks, guys. Sure. Um, so, um, I mean, obviously there was some kind of um, 
my mom always tried she was a little overprotective and so were my grandparents I was also raised by my um, grandparents her um parents and my my grandfather is greek so there's also a lot of like you know patriarchy mm -hmm. vibes um in there also and also like southern european families are very um how do you say that and um they tend they tend to um to you know overstep some boundaries mm -hmm. when it comes to private life and decisions which is never it never comes from a from a, a negative place but still it does something mm -hmm. to you so i i think i i was very overprotected and um then when my or after my dad passed that became even um stronger mm -hmm. this feeling of you know we have to replace someone so not not only my mom was overprotective but also my grandparents so um, but yeah, it all came from a place of love. I, I know that. Um, and also then another factor was obviously that I was always, my, my mom always called me her chaos kid mm. in German. So, um, I think that the people who raised me thought that I needed this kind of protection and this kind of stiff, mm -hmm. you know, um, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Risk, yeah, you know? risk management. They were trying to hold you tightly. Yes. Yeah. So this is it. Um, so I just was, I watched uh, Gaber Mate released of a, a film, a documentary in the last year, but it was available this last week on called The Wisdom of Trauma. And I love his work all about trauma and um, connection and these these early connective behaviors, right? So it's like the social nervous system, you know, that you, that we all as human beings, once our basic needs are met, the social nervous system is this nervous system that allows us to um, survive, right? Through connection. So what I, I just found this like five minute snippet the other day for a mentoring program I'm running. And it was fascinating, the link that I never made before, and it'll circle back to your story. What I, what he was discussing is how especially I think when you think of a sensitive child, but all children are sensitive to their environment. They watch our face, our cues, they feel the energy, they're picking up information like sponges all the time on how to adapt, right? So that ultimately, so that they can maintain a secure attachment or potentially an insecure attachment, but attachment, right? Nonetheless, because they're survival is dependent on the caregivers around them. And he was making a link between these all the ways that parents out of love and out of their own trauma and, you know, probably the responsibility your mother felt because your father had passed away so tragically and all of that probably guilt she took on too and how to make you help you be okay. And, you know, on and on and on that we all do because we love our children yeah. and what love how love acts is based on so many things, right? Like you mentioned the patriarchy yeah. and the culture and you have all these different influences. But I was thinking about it because what, what Gaber Mate talked about is how we unintentionally strip authenticity from our children by showing them in conscious and unconscious ways what we expect of them in order to maintain the connection, like both because of the world, what the world's saying you need to do to be acceptable, how you need to stay safe, how you need to avoid risk, how to not let you get hurt, right? Especially yeah. like the invulnerability that's in a lot of the 
culture, both American and German, um, as far as I know, at least. And so all these things that we do out of love actually disconnect our children from their authentic sense of being. Yeah. I, I, there was a very interesting interview with Sadhguru, mm -hmm. I guess you, many people mm -hmm. know him. Um, he um, talked um, on impact theory by Tom Bilyeu and he said this, it's only this one sentence I remember. He said that so many people think that their children are their legacy mm. But in the end, everything a child needs is support. Mm -hmm. And this is something that, that really stuck with me because, yeah, I mean, we, we all have so many unhealed trauma, trauma and all these, I mean, I, I guess to a certain point, trauma is um, not destructive, mm -hmm. you know, and you can never heal all trauma. Mm -hmm. I guess that's, mm -hmm. That should not even be possible. Mm -hmm. There is no no life without without any shadows. Mm -hmm. But um, there are some, tr or is some trauma that is worse when you pass it on to your children, and there is some trauma that is not that bad. So um, I think that um, everything that um, that goes around the the topic of fear. Um, is something you should definitely try to to um, work on when you're a parent or when you plan on becoming a parent at some point, um, because this is something that definitely will keep a child from maybe trying stuff out that would be part or would be necessary to for it to 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 reach their goals or find their passion or mm -hmm. you know so. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, in my family, it was definitely, um, that's a very German thing also, I think, um, but in general, a society thing, um, the um, the fear of, you know, um, um, how do you say that? The fear of being different, mm -hmm. to say it in a simple mm -hmm. way. Um, Germans are trying to, to, to be very, you know, oh, I don't hang up, hang up my laundry on a Sunday because what will the neighbors mm -hmm. think? And, um, I always go to work and I try to, to not say my opinion when nobody asks me mm -hmm. stuff like that. That's, that's very German. Mm -hmm. So like sticking to rules, mm -hmm. you know, that's super German. And that's something that my family is very like this, this adapting mm -hmm. thing, adapting to like norms. So I think that, um, when I, as a kid started to like be rebellious and not sticking to that type of, um, of, of like all my family did, um, they were scared that I would maybe go on the wrong track kind of you know like they they had all kind of horror scenarios like I I was not allowed to be with certain kids my grandma was always looking for me to have the right friends mm -hmm. which were always the ones that are like were good at school and mm -hmm. stuff like that but I always felt connected to kids that were kind of Like me, mm -hmm. you know, breaking rules. Mm -hmm. And like my, my mom always tells the story of me, like my best friend in kindergarten was, the, she said that the worst kid in all the kindergarten was screaming the whole time and being loud. And this was always me. I always felt connected to, to people that were different. Mm -hmm. 
And this is something my family was very scared of, I think, or maybe still is, because the 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 adaption thing mm -hmm. is is a topic in my family, mm -hmm. like not you know not um, doing anything that anyone will talk badly about or you know just staying under the radar mm -hmm. stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. um, I have a lot of thoughts. Yeah. Um, What is it do you think in you that was attracted to the quote unquote misfits? Was it your own identification? Like you saw yourself in them? Probably, yeah. yes. Probably and maybe also the like the the um admiration for them to be different. Mm. You know, like the, the that they were brave enough to be different because it's so funny to think of that because that to me that shows that I always kind of knew that there was something different inside of me that I wanted to show the mm -hmm. world, you know? Mm -hmm. So already as a kid, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I guess it's... The, Isn't that it though? Kids know, that's the whole thing. Kids do know themselves. And if we don't yeah. lay so heavily on them, like I love the, I have no idea who to credit this for, but something I heard at some point on maybe NPR or TED Talk, or I don't even remember, but um, talked about like our job is to, as parents or just even you as a coach, right? Like anyone that's working in service of others is to create fertile soil. So that because the seed already knows like how to grow and what it's meant to turn into. Yes. And this is one of the things I try to anchor my daughter back to. We've entered nine and tween and uh, like insecurity is starting to already bubble up. And I'm like, you know, I know there's no way to avoid it. And also I want to protect her from it. Right. So, but what the reminder that I try to give her and myself is that she is perfectly designed from her soul's intent. Like I believe she, her soul mapped much of this out. And so like, if, if I can keep anchoring and rooting her back to that reminder that her gifts, her talents, her shadow, her light, like all of the pieces of her were were orchestrated for the way that she intended to show up, you know? And it sounds to me like you knew that and saw that in others or others, you, you were attracted to others who reflected that back to you. And I bet they saw you as brave too. Yeah, probably. Yeah. That's a very beautiful interpretation or yeah, way of seeing it. Definitely. Mm. Yeah. So When you talk about fear and the highly sensitive, this is also, I was a highly anxious child. And I think my, the anxiousness was born both of the HSP and the, and the ADHD and who knows what started what, right? Um, the, it doesn't even really matter to me at this point, but I would love to talk about that because in my own experience, both raising a kid, my own anxiety, my wife's anxiety, I can see how we've done unintentionally and we do this to girl children or you know children that we've decided are girls at least so far right um we we are more there's so much research that supports how much more we teach them to be risk adverse and to avoid or risk averse and to avoid risk and then we're like weaving fear into them and so and the anxious and the high the highly sensitive child is often more sensitive to that kind of anxiousness or stress or performance often. So what do you see, not even about the child, but just because you work with adults mostly, I'm assuming, like how do you work with sensitives and fear? What's your, what's your go-to or what do you just tell, tell me where you're at with that, I guess. So, um, 
in the end, um, the fears that highly sensitive people have most is um, the fear of rejection, um, being rejected by other people, which is a human thing. I mean, this is, we're all born with mm -hmm. that. And this thing always has, you know, it, fear is something very important. Fear keeps you from jumping from mm -hmm. the next um, building. One of my key things I, I always preach, I always tell on my Instagram and my, my coaching clients is that they have to make friends with fear because this is something, Oh, I don't see you anymore. Mm, I'm here. Okay. <laughs> um, because it is a big, I think the biggest problem is um, if you, or is that you um, start hating your fear for putting you into the situations you are in? Um, where um, give me an example of that. Like, um, for example, you want to speak out in any way, and um, your fear um, keeps you from saying your opinion mm -hmm. loudly. Mm -hmm. And you start hating the fear for that because it keeps you from saying what you want to mm -hmm. say. Because in the end, everyone, even intro, I have a lot of introvert clients and introverts, they, they are introvert. Like that means they're maybe not talking as much or as loudly as extroverts, but they still have a big, big, um, need like highly sensitive people always have to be authentic mm -hmm. and to not wear a mask so um they're um angry about themselves and about fear that fear is keeping them from living their truth mm -hmm. or speaking their mm -hmm. truth so they start to um like build up this anger against fear against all the fears they have um and this is something i i watched um on myself too when i notice that fear is coming for whatever reason um you start judging yourself and you start judging fear and once you start doing that you build up a lot of resistance inside of yourself so one of the keys to being happy and balanced inside is to make friends with fear and to see that there's a reason that fear is there. Um, it has, um, it has a function mm -hmm. and it's never going to leave. And some people think that, um, there is a life or they want to build a life without fear, which is never possible. There is no life without fear because fear it's in our genes. It's in our, it's, you know, it's a biological thing. So, The key is not to want to lose fear. The key is wanting to deal properly with fear. Mm -hmm. And this is something a lot of people don't understand. And yeah, so this is, this is one of my main um, focuses mm -hmm. to, um, to work with my clients on making friends with fear and like even talking to the fear inside of them, going into a dialogue saying, Hey fear, it's nice that you're there. Thank you. I know you want to protect me, but I don't want to give you the control. I'm, I'm having the control over myself. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a big thing. Also, I'm starting a um, certification next year um, for EFT mm -hmm. Or in my case, it's called MET because it's some kind of 
specialization, um, which is also very, very great um, for losing or for handling um, fears better and for phobias and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with the EFT? Yeah, but you're, the, feel free to yeah, tapping. tapping yep. Yeah, yeah, go ahead and you're welcome to talk it out a little bit or how it works or... So I'm, I mean, I'm starting it in January, so I don't know so many like, you know, details, but it's a way of you're, you're tapping on, um, on specific points on your head and on your face, um, which are, um, how do you say that in English? It's acupressure pressure points or, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, um, and then the, the, um, the block starts to, you know, kind of move so it's an energy it's an energetic mm-hmm. thing i cannot really explain it very okay. well even in english but <laughs> it disrupts um, the, it's just it's like it's a disruption <laughs> right so it disrupts the pattern and then you make a positive yes. association right but there's also a whole nervous system yes. un, unraveling right yes and also what helps a lot is that the um the patient or the client is um looking the fear into the eyes it, he ha- he or she has to or they have to um, speak loudly what kind of fear it is. And during the process, there are, um, the scenarios and the, the unconscious memories are coming up. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it, it's, it's in kind of mixture of like getting unconscious, um, memories out of the unconscious mm-hmm. and looking them into the eyes and, um, energetically kind of tap them. Mm-hmm. away or like energize energizing them giving them an opportunity to flow mm-hmm. you know um because a block as the word says is something that is stuck somewhere and um yeah so that's um and i already tried it out myself a, a few times and it helped me a lot um and it's pretty easy because it's like you just have to tap and it's it's like i don't know so many it, it it's it's very very easy because the client can do it themselves too mm-hmm. at home mm-hmm. um so i'm really looking forward to also using that more mm-hmm. um and i'm also um i'm also working a lot with um meditation vis- visualization and hypnosis so stepping into un- the unconscious and um un or yeah unraveling and finding um trauma Mm. and it's really really interesting what kind of connections um people find inside of themselves because it's not my my experience is that it's never something that's like super logical Mm -hmm. it's very complex like they will say like we will treat um, a limiting belief and the memory that is connected to that, that comes up when we work inside the unconscious is never something you would um, connect with that belief um, first in, in a, on a first view, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it, some of the things I like that I've, that you've brought up or tapped, tapped on for a second are things I've been learning a lot about, which is, you know, when looking at our behavioral patterns, like recognizing that in childhood and development, those maintaining connection is the primary goal. So, so many of the things we do are adaptable that allowed you to survive, right? And that for some period of time there, that's what's literally allowing you to like 
maintain some sense of sanity, self and connection, right? So it's self-preservation. And then it's like, then we, we hit this uh, transition period where all of a sudden all those uh, adaptive behaviors become maladaptive. And then we spend our adulthood trying to like unwind, unravel, reclaim what what you, what and who you weren't necessarily allowed to be or say or know. And I think that it's so, it's so interesting because what I was just recently learning about trauma was that it's not, it's not the thing that happened to you, which is why people say little T and big T and it really is irrelevant. It's not the thing that happened to you. It's the lack of connection or support. You mentioned support that you needed that, you, that wasn't met, that that support connection need wasn't met in a organic or healthy way. Right. So yeah. for, for many people, they don't believe them themselves to have any amount of trauma or you know, issues like this, or they don't understand the root because they're expecting it to only have come from this thing that happened to me when it can be loving parents who just weren't available for a thousand reasons, right? Because of their own trauma, because of ancestry and ethnicity and Mm -hmm. culture and whatever, stress, like all the things um, that happen that, that loving parents do in an effort to, to, to care if that, for at least some of them, um, and certainly not parents who resent parenting altogether. Obviously, that has its own implied trauma, but there's plenty of us who had lovely families, um, but still just those needs weren't met, right? And so this adaptable becomes maladaptive, and that sounds like what you're – and the connection points that you're talking about, that's what's so excuse me, fascinating is like, like – I, I totally, I can appreciate that entirely. When you start to look at why you do what you do, it's never the obvious thing. Yeah. 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 So um, the other, the, the thing I love about what you were saying about fear, Liz Gilbert wrote like a great little uh, snippet about fear. And I've talked about it many times, but not allowing fear to be in the driver's seat. Right. Like, and that. Oh my, I'm getting goosebumps right now. This is it, the exact picture. I'm painting when I'm talking about fear. Yeah. yeah it's, I'll this send is, it to you. Yeah. It's so good because it's like, you know, you can have a seat in the car, but basically you cannot touch the the radio. You cannot, you don't hold the map, like yeah. all these things. Like you have a place, but you will never, never hold the wheel. Right. And like, yeah, yeah go yeah, ahead. Totally. Yeah. And, and also you will have to start making friends with the fact that you can be brave with fear Mm -hmm. sitting on the sitting next Mm -hmm. to you in the car. Mm -hmm. And this is, this is a a misbelief. Like so many people think that being brave means the absence Mm -hmm. of fear, which is just not the case. Fear can always be there and should always Mm -hmm. be there because if fear wasn't there, you would make crazy, crazy, maybe, even like life-threatening decisions, but you can still act and make decisions and speak and move on with fear being there because you decide, you can always decide. And when I, like when I did my last very brave decision, made my very last um, brave decision, it was quitting my job without having any security and like any big savings in my Mm -hmm. account. I like the the picture. I always explain it like that. Fear was sitting next to me in the car and we were both screaming at each other kind of, 
because I, I, I felt the fear so, so badly and it was screaming at me and shouting at me and I was screaming and I was like sitting in my car, like holding onto the wheel and I started driving and I did not know if the car was gonna, you know, fly off when I'm at the cliff or if it was gonna fall down the cliff. But I just, I just started, mm -hmm. you know, I just started driving and it took off because, you know, the universe always reacts to being brave in a positive way. So yeah, that's, that's something that resonates with me a lot. This picture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'll, I'll totally. send you that. It's a great little like paragraph. And I always think of that. Um, yeah. I'm, I, I'm, I have a couple of things I want to circle back to that you were saying. Um, Number one, you keep talking about fear. And to me, it's like the, I, I, I believe again, back to soul, like we are, this, we are souls having a human experience. And part of that agreement is that we bring this thing called the ego and the ego is necessary for our embodiment. We live in a dualistic yeah. and this is duality. And so fear is this necessary element. Um, and like you keep mentioning, like it, it also has there are positives that come out of fear. Fear informs at times, right? So there's times that fear informs. The problem is we have this big like meaning-making system in our bodies called the brain that's always trying to find meaning in everything. And so what um, I love the work of Mel Robbins and she talks about like the five second rule because as soon as we hesitate, like if you have the instinct and you're, and you are not moving and acting from intuition and you let the brain start to take over, right? That intellectualizing everything, that fear starts to take over. It literally, your brain literally is programmed from an evolution standpoint to look for the threat, even though the threat yes. isn't real, right? Necessarily. Sometimes it is, yeah. but that's, you know, that's the whole thing. But then if it was real, the threat was real, the instinct would have moved you another way. Because half the time we talk ourselves yeah. out of the fear and walk forward into something we know that our instinct was actually telling us isn't good for us, yes. right? Yeah. Totally. So I, and I always... Go no, you go. Um, I always say that the brain always takes... Um, takes information into um, consideration that are not ours mm -hmm. so the brain like this is why i always say try to concentrate on your heart and your intuition and not on your brain because the brain you know you read something you heard something someone once said something mm -hmm. or you saw the news whatever um and this is how the brain makes its decisions mm -hmm. it's not your information mm -hmm. it's anyone else's mm -hmm. information, the world's information, whatever. Yeah. yeah. It's like a checks and balance system. But if you're not doing things like what you're starting to integrate to meditation and mindfulness, then we're not moving from the wise mind. Yeah. We're moving from the, the programmed and afraid mind instead of, right. Yeah. So I, I always think of it as like this, it's a check and balance system, but you have to get both pieces um, in a, in a relatively neutral place, as often as you yes. can, right? Coherence. Um, yeah. yeah. So one of the other, I, I also, you were mentioning it, but um, I talk about and all the time, right? Like fear and courage, right? And like, I think our culture, and I, I would say the whole West, let's just say that, wants everything to be so um, this or that, right? And like most mm -hmm. things exist in the and, right? In the both, yes. you know? And totally. and that it's in that expectation that you're, that that it's supposed to be one way or the other that we really um, limit ourselves. Um, 
I want to circle back to authenticity because I keep imagining you and this um, child that you were admiring and that bravery. And I think what's really interesting, a connection, I say interesting a lot, I need to work on that. What's, what, what's cool to me is this authenticity connection to highly sensitive people that I didn't really realize about myself that even as a really little kid, there's a story I've told a million times about being dropped off at preschool. And this was before we had, you know, awareness around ethnicity and cultural appropriation, but it was Thanksgiving and my mom was supposed to bring a garbage bag uh, or a um, grocery bag, a, a brown paper bag for me to make into a native vest, right? And so she forgot it. She ran home. I was the youngest of three. I'm sure everything was crazy. She brings it back and then comes back to pick me up, I'm sure, an hour and a half later because it was, you know, preschool. And um, I w- refused to wear, I refused to put on my Indian outfit like everyone else. And it always struck me that at like three years old, I knew who, like, I had this sense of what I was and what I was not. And like, I already then wasn't willing to, to play in that field of like imagination. Like, I mean, yes, play is so good. And I think it's curious that I, that I must've been really trying to integrate my soul with my body at that time. But authenticity, I always say it's not something I struggled with. It was like something I didn't have a choice. I had to honor that. And when I didn't, yeah. I think that's what was, I think my anxiousness and depression was born of that um, uh, abandoning of self. Yes. Yes. I personally, I'm not a doctor, but I do have some experience with depression and also, you know, losing my dad. Um, but I personally think that these kind of um, illnesses exist because um, because there is this system of judging some ways of behavior, thinking, and feeling. Mm-hmm. And when it when that gets stuck, and they're start, starting to build a, a block, mm-hmm. I I feel like this is a big big reason why um, why people get depression and um, it's it's a lot of this you know this judgment and going away from your true self and, and trying to be someone else and doing things that don't fit you. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I, I, I really, I really feel that. So when you talk about rejection being one of the primary, I mean, so it's one of the primary concerns of a sensitive person so that then they're adapting behavior to avoid rejection, right? So this is like, the fawning behavior or fitting in behavior, right? Um, what, how, what's the, what are the coaching techniques or for those of us who find that in ourselves or find that in our children, how do we help sensitives navigate the fear of rejection? So, um, one of my favorite techniques is imagining the worst case scenario. Um, because in the end we are, like the scenarios are never thought until the end, you know, you never finish this thought or feeling and your, your, um, so feelings, um, feelings, um, come from thoughts. And if the thought is a thought that is not true mm-hmm. and not like finished, no finished thought, mm-hmm. um, your system reacts and there's a feeling mm-hmm. coming from that thought. But if you think it through, and if you say, okay, what's the worst thing that could happen? Yeah, those people could think I'm a bad person and they don't like me and, and 
then I say, is that really something that would be so bad for mm-hmm. you? And the answer is always no. Mm-hmm. And also, um, I always ask, do you really want to want people to like you that would reject you of mm-hmm. something Otherwise. because of yeah. something like mm-hmm. that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is, I mean, this is, this is a very conscious process. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I said, a lot of fears are, you know, connected to the unconscious, but, um, this always, um, does a lot to the people because, you know, they're just, I sometimes feel like yesterday I had a really, really interesting, um, session with my, my client and, um, we found out that she finds security in her fear because she learned from her mom. Um, she learned fear from her mom Mm -hmm. and because she connects, um, mm. she connect connects family with security. She connects fear to security, which is so crazy mm-hmm. to me. And also I, I, I feel like a lot of times people just, they, they did never, they were always scared even as a kid and they never unlearned it. So they don't know how it is to not be mm-hmm. scared, you mm-hmm. know? So you have to reprogram your mind and your whole system, every cell, to how it is to not be scared, mm-hmm. you know? So it's, um, yeah, it's a, it's definitely a thing that you have to, you know, exercise, do over train, mm-hmm. do over and over again. Um, and yeah, many people think that it's, you know, it's possible in a few weeks, but it's not, you have to like, you know, reprogram everything. And, um, yeah. Yeah. So, so that's, that was a very, very interesting, um, inside yesterday. Mm-hmm. That makes me think of like this idea of, well, I love, there's a saying that's like, um, why, do, why does your family push all of your buttons? Um, because they installed them. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that idea of like, you know, you come with your own hardware system, but we get software programmed into us. And these are like the contracts, right? So like in some yeah. ways, subconsciously, she feels like she's probably, uh, breaking that agreement with her mother by, by letting, trying to release the fear and like how unconscious back to that connection. Like we want to maintain those threads of what are perceived as connection points, even when they no longer serve. And, and, you know, to me too, it's like this, like some of these adaptive behaviors we've learned, you may not be ready to get rid of in this lifetime. They may need to continue to serve you. And I I was just discussing yesterday with this uh, lovely group of mentors, like we all get to a breaking point where like whatever it is that we're doing has become so destructive or so limiting that like we have no choice but to walk. At least that's how I like to do it. I say I like to wait for the universe to kick me in the ass and like push me off the cliff, which sounds like you driving your car and you're like, we'll see what happens, but I got to go, you know, right? And um, it's... It's so I think I think so much of fear is about this perceived safety, right? Or Brittany Brown calls it like the armor we wear, um, and and this invulnerability, which ultimately we thought protected us as a child, but then it keeps us from connecting, right? Like it keeps us from our deepest need, whether it's connecting self and then connecting other. Um, it's it's also interesting. I'm really thinking about this rejection piece because. I think that's really, I've never, I've never distilled it down to that, that quality so much, but as I look around at all the HSPs, I think you're so right. It's like 
all the people pleasing, all of the adapting, like the being a chameleon is ultimately about rejection. And I think of Dr. Seuss, better to be loved for, uh, hated for who you are than loved for who you are not. Yeah. yeah. Totally. And I also feel like there's a lot of other factors that come, that, that play a big role um, when it comes to this rejection thing. Um, we are so empathetic that we, I mean, this is a thing that all every human does. We tend to um, subconsciously think that everyone is like we are, mm -hmm. you know, so we always, so I think that high, highly sensitive people, maybe because we are so empathetic, um, think that if we do something that, um, something bad or something against another human being or like, you know, not pleasing someone, they could feel the same way as we mm. would mm. if someone did the same thing to mm. us, which is almost never the case because only 30% of the world population is highly mm. sensitive. Um, but even if, um, you know, also this is not thought until the end, not, the thought is not finished because, Even if so, um, there is still something called communication. And if you, you know, communicate with each other, um, you can always, you know, explain yourself. And um, yeah. Yeah. And so and belonging to ourselves mm -hmm. is like the ultimate goal, trusting that we might disappoint people. You know, I think that like yes. we're especially I don't know, I can't speak for Germany, but certainly in America, like the the people pleasing, be a good girl, you know, don't rock the boat all of those things and then it, and then add on being an empath or an HSP and literally being able to feel what your energy, how your words, your behaviors affect someone else. It like ups yeah. the, the feedback loop is so much stronger, right? Yes. Right. Yes. yes. Like, so if I'm yes. going to disappoint That's you, not only do I know cognitively I'm going to disappoint you and now I'm feeling what you're feeling and I have to like yes. take that, right? Ugh, yes. 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 And then try not to turn that into guilt or shame for having a desire yeah. or a need or a boundary or, yes. right? Oh. This is why I so often think that when you're a highly sensitive people and you master to kind of build your filters or like to build your life in a way that you're strong and not, you know, like a crying little thing, mm -hmm. we're so much stronger than non sensitive mm -hmm. people when we mastered all of this because it's so freaking hard in like being a sensitive person in this world and when you master to live a good life and to be happy and to fulfill everything you ever wanted to mm -hmm. um i mean that's a that's a big thing that's that's really really like i mean yeah, yeah. so All the people, like, I have almost only <laughs> either highly sensitive or sensitive friends. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm, like, I, I admire each one of them so much because, you know, we're always, we, we tend to be on a journey to finding ourselves and our passion. And, you know, we, we deal with so much. And once we master all of this, it's such a, it's such a huge um, accomplishment. Mm -hmm. It's, it's just, and it makes you so strong going through all of these struggles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You're making me think of like, I think that, um, uh, it's the, in so many more in the, in many of the cultures that are more 
that have stayed more rooted to earth and like spirituality innately and, um, and that like harmonious energy of, of community and all of those things, like they, the, the sensitives were considered elevated because it's the canary in the coal mine. It's the person who is telling you something's out of balance before the rest of the tribe understood that. Right. Um, it's animals. It's like, it's children when they walk into a room and yeah. they start, they start having a reaction that they need to get out. We need to trust that something's off in that space. Right. And, and yeah. we're not, we don't give it enough. We, instead we lay on because it's inconvenient that the child is doing that at that time or whatever the you know story is that we as adults have often put on or, or the sensitive is being too sensitive, right? You don't know what you're yeah. talking about. We're diminished all the time. Um, but I agree with you so much. I think, it's interesting that you say 30% because when this work first came out, it was like 15 to 20, but I actually think more souls are coming in more awake and conscious and sensitive. Um, so I think that number is rising. I agree with you on that. Um, and I, I think I read it online somewhere. Yeah. I think it's a good. That's yeah. awesome. Um, I agree with you totally. Um, but I think it's, uh, we're here to, we're here to keep calling out the imbalances. So if we can get, our gifts on board in a, in a real relatively healthy way that the, the, the sensitives are the change makers. They're the ones saying, Hey, this isn't cool. This isn't right. The world can, we can do better than this. Yeah. Yes. Totally. Yeah. Um, this is one of the reasons I do what I do. I don't only want to make a change in like some people I want to change a lot more. Mm -hmm. And no, every person um, that is um, listening to um, to me or you know watching my Instagram is um, a multiplier to to the things I'm I'm saying and and the the topics I'm I'm talking about. So mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, we have to speak out. Yes, definitely. Yeah, yeah, because that's otherwise nobody's going to say where the world's out of balance. And this is this yeah. is what it. This is the whole thing um, that. That happens. Let's touch before we wrap things up. I'd love to talk about, I know you talk a lot about shadow and light and like shadow work. I would imagine it ties into some of the stuff you're talking about with fear and rejection, but what's your perspective on that from a more spiritual perspective or the intuition or go where you want to go? What, what's your focus point there? Mm, so I'm a very spiritual person, um, but um, I don't know if that has anything to do with the way I, I see the topic shadows mm-hmm. and like, so I, I'm, so I'm a big, I'm big. Um, I'm, I'm very critical about the coaching scene, a lot of the coaching bubble, because in my opinion, there is still too many people um, that are practice who are practicing uh, toxic positivity. Mm-hmm. So, um, and also I, I observed this and like, people that are following me, people I talk to, um, there's this belief that when you, once you do therapy or coaching, you're only going to be happy and no, you're not going to be scared of anything anymore. And you're like this light, mm-hmm. um, light, uh, yes. <laughs> um, and, um, you're only always in a good mood. And, you know, this is the Instagram, um the 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 negative side of instagram even in the coaching bubble Mm -hmm. so it's not only as a but when i go to my private account this is something i'm very critical about and and even in the coaching scene where people should know better um there's this big big um thing so i 
always try to show um, not only myself, but any topic, any anything I talk about in a way that um, people always know there is a life, a happy life, and there is a life, a dream life you can create yourself. But that does not mean that you're always in a good mood and that there's no more shadows and no more fear because every le level brings out another devil. Mm -hmm. And the devil <laughs> is... So this is something I want people to understand. Um, when you are not, when you haven't started this self-development, um, personal development journey yet, people tend to think that shadows and um, pain is something very, very bad because it is. It feels very, very heavy. But once you started this journey and you see how much potential there is in pain and in, in anger and every negatively fe feeling um, emotion, um, those things are um, losing their power. So they're still there, but it does not feel as heavy as it did maybe two years ago when you were still, you know, mm -hmm. on another level. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I always try to, to, um, to, you know, avoid um, telling people that um, you can live a life without any um, yeah, negative emotion mm -hmm. because there is no light without shadow. And those shadows are absolutely necessary and to me personally. I made the experiences a lot of times that once I go through a very painful episode, what comes after that is... So like every time I'm like the Phoenix mm -hmm. ri uh, rising from the ashes, it's crazy. It pain has so much potential when you push through it. And when you just, you know, not close your eyes, but open your eyes and go right inside it of it. There is so much waiting for you on the other mm -hmm. side. And this is something I want people to understand. They, ha you have to make friends with pain and, and fear and all of this um, because you get to know yourself so much better and you can, you can create something very, very big out mm -hmm. of that. Absolutely. This is, um, I, you brought it when you were talking about fear earlier, it's to, as a anxious person in my experience and just watching it with everyone in the world, right? The more we push it away and try to avoid it, the bigger it gets. Right. And so, yeah. so much of what you're talking about is like disempowering the fear or the pain so that by staring at it, right? Everything just wants validation. Yeah. It wants to be seen, heard. It wants to tell you yes. what it needs to tell you. And that we, we, we teach un, we unintentionally teach our children to avoid it because they trigger ours. Like we don't encourage people to sit with, just like you talked about walking them through what does rejection look like? What does fear look like? Where, what's the end game here for you? What do you imagine is the worst? Um, I yeah. love, I love that. And I agree with the toxic positivity all the time. It's the same in the spiritual world, the yoga world, all of this, well, it's two-sided. Sometimes I feel like the, the, the ancient, not ancient, the, the elevated texts of Eastern philosophy to me often feel very oppressive and they don't honor the light enough. They don't honor the balance, the joy, the, the feminine, right? The intuition, the yeah. feelings. Um, I need to think more about how the, what you wrote about, um, like the feelings, are born of thought because I think what I, what I see so often 
I'm going to circle back to your shadow in a second here. But what I see so often is that um, feelings are like demonized um, as feminine and weak. And, and I think it's that discernment and maybe we need more words for feelings. Like, is it this, is it a sensation? Because the body is this big sen- sensing feeling machine that's actually trying to inform you intuitively often, yeah. right? Um, or the pain is informing you that you've hit a trip line or there's something there you need to look at, right? And so those mindfulness practices that help us discern the the gray middle between you know feeling informed by unproductive thought or feeling informed by intuition and where to step and where to move i think is a, i think yeah. it's a constant dance um of of humanness um and then yeah i as far as toxic positivity it's like it's it's it just reminds me that everybody's always looking for the easy button like there's no way but through over and over again and yeah. and the hero's journey right like you, the abyss is is where the magic happens and then you get you know yeah. you recover some piece of yourself you recover some part of yourself or you remember a, some tool you have or whatever it is strength and then you decide to hopefully we each decide to come back into the world chain through that yeah, yeah. and the phoenix rising is one of my favorites uh my favorite analogies i've chose it comes in meditation to me often i love i love the phoenix so i'm glad you oh, said that amazing. yeah yeah um oh, there's i mean what else would you like as we wrap up um what do you think that like the the sensitives or those parenting or living with sensitive what are they what are the most important sort of things to remember? Um, Try to be very conscious about also the words you're using because there is so much, there's so many um, sentences so deep in, in our culture. Like, don't cry. This is one of my favorites. Be a big girl. And why are you crying? Um, always thinking that when someone cries, there is something negative happening, mm-hmm. stuff like that. You, you never, you don't even notice it when you're saying it, but this is something that sticks, um, not only with children, but with mm-hmm. everyone. Um, yeah. So being conscious about the, the use of words, um, and also being very conscious about judging, mm-hmm. Um, trying to not judging at, at all because um, this is where where um, suffering begins. Mm. Once you start judging, it it's I mean you can judge in a positive way, mm-hmm. but um, it starts to get like destructive when you when you judge something for being negative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, With- totally. Because pe- things and people and feelings are just there. And something just is, it's never, you know, positive or negative. It's just what we make of it, what we think of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So hard and not such a critical environment that we're all living in. But yeah. I, I absolutely see that. I see that birthing in my child, you know, the space of judgment. Um, what if someone, so people can follow you if they speak German though, um, on your on your site. Yeah. 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 Uh, yes. I might need a third site to manage a little as one English speaking. <laughs> I tried to do the Instagram translation and my German is, uh, you know, very lacking, uh, but I got the gist. I got the gist of it. Um, so people can follow you. What's your website or you, you don't have a website. Um, I, you just use Instagram. I do have a website, but Instagram is, I think, um, most informative. Okay. It's Lumos coaching. So it's L U M U S 
coaching in one word. Okay. Um, yes. And programs you're offering or workshops you're doing, are any of them in English? Are you considering that in the future? They're not, but actually you're not the first one asking me. So maybe it's something I'm going to do in the future because I do have a lot of English speaking friends also. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, people around the world I'm, I'm uh, connecting with. So maybe, yeah. Okay. We'll push you. <laughs> there's a new, there's a new cliff to leap your car off of. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much for your time and for the work you're doing. I think it's so vital no matter what corner of the world we're living in. And thank you so yeah, much for having me. Absolutely. Thanks again, everyone, for joining. If you have questions, feel free to check out the show notes. You can find a ton of more information about highly sensitive people. Um, you can find the work from the original author. There's a book um, that is specifically about parent parenting a highly sensitive child. And of course, check out Teresa's um, information on Instagram if you speak German, and hopefully she'll she'll get a translated version going soon. Um, you know, Google Translate always works too. Anyway, thank you from one highly sensitive person to another. Again, if you're interested in that immersion or future workshops with me, please join my mailing list. Um, I will link that below too. Thanks a lot. I hope you're having a great week and happy new year. And, uh, you know, thanks for everything you do to light up your corner of the world. We'll talk soon.